Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have a very special guest, Dr. John Madison, who is the former Chief Health Information Officer at Kaiser Permanente, and he'll be talking about COVID-19. On this week's tech news, of course, it's a lot about COVID-19 of the coronavirus. Uh, first thing, in case you haven't heard yet, the Treasury of the United States has announced a minimum 90-day deadline to pay your taxes. It's not super clear yet if you can file your taxes after April 15th, but you can always file the extension that gives you an automatic six months, but just know that your payments will not be due for at least 90 days. Nextdoor, which is an app that lots of people use in their communities, announced that they rushed out a product that lets you check in on your neighbors during coronavirus because a lot of communities, like here in Silicon Valley, are locked down. Um, The app is designed to help you notify your neighbors whether you need help picking up a kid or picking up groceries. It's also designed to help your at-risk neighbors. Facebook had a bit of an embarrassment this week, along with Google, where they were pulling all kinds of people's news stories down for being fake. So, for instance, my tax story I just posted about, they said that was fake, and they halted it, and this happened to thousands and thousands of people. Facebook and Google actually said later that it was a mistake in their content moderation platform, and I had Tiffany Xingyu Wang on a couple weeks back talking about content moderation where these platforms like Facebook are trying to filter out sensitive news or fake news. In this case, because everybody had to go home because due to the lockdown, the content moderation was left purely to artificial intelligence and therefore was running amok, banning everything from uh, Alibaba's Jack Ma donating millions of masks to the United States to uh, other innocuous stuff. As long as you had a comment about COVID-19, it was getting banned. Tesla stock dropped because Elon was saying how he was going to come to work, and it's right here in our hometown of Fremont, California. He kept saying that the factory would remain open, that he didn't think that COVID was such a big deal, that workers could choose to be at home, and the Alameda County Sheriff's Office actually told him, no, you're not essential, and we're going to shut down your manufacturing. And finally, Facebook, Twitter, Google, Microsoft, LinkedIn, and Reddit decided to ban forces, decided to join forces so that they can combat fake news around COVID altogether. So all six companies are teaming up, sharing information on fake news, and asking other companies to join with them. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, we're joined with Dr. John Madison, who is the former Chief Health Information Officer at Kaiser Permanente. Great to have you again, John. Thanks. Great to talk with you today. 
So, John, I know we're going to talk a lot today about COVID-19, what are some technology solutions, what are people working on, but I wanted to catch up with you first. I mean, you've had a really great career, uh, I believe almost 30 years at Kaiser. Uh, What have you been up to lately? I continue to do uh, some work on strategic projects uh, with Kaiser Permanente, and I am uh, advising a number of not-for-profits as well as a number of uh, startups and larger uh, scale uh, companies that are working in the health technology space. That's great, John. So glad you're keeping active. Uh, what are your thoughts of what's going on with COVID-19 right now? So I think a lot of people for many years have predicted that we would find ourselves in exactly the situation we're in right now. Um, we, we have uh, a level of, of globalization of trade, of uh, transportation, of communication, of um, cultural uh, collaboration that is unprecedented in the history of the planet. And when you combine that with the density of populations, and particularly the density of populations in proximity to um, many other species of animals, uh, these kinds of events that are referred to technically as zoonoses, um, uh, that uh, where a, a particular infectious agent jumps from one species uh, where it's a host to another, um, lead to very unprecedented um, kinds of, of problems. And so SARS, MERS, and uh, COVID-19 are all uh, examples of an infectious agent jumping from one animal population to another. And so we have both a vulnerable population because of our globalization and our our travel and interconnectedness. The the beauty of interconnectedness is we can achieve much more together than we can alone. The downside is that when there is a novel virus like this, it spreads like wildfire, and that's what we're witnessing. So this is no surprise. And in fact, there was a tabletop exercise led by some infectious disease experts and supply chain experts in Washington, D.C. in October of last year. And they actually chose for a tabletop discussion of what might happen, a coronavirus uh, escaping and what would be the implications of that. Uh, And coronavirus was selected for a variety of reasons, but not the least of which is there's quite a bit of genetic variation within the coronavirus family. Um, and they tend, uh, like single-stranded RNA viruses do, to mutate fairly quickly. So this is the perfect storm, um, and it was not unanticipated. It was not uh, unpredicted. It, it, quite the contrary, this conforms to um, a lot of the thoughtful uh, uh, future casting that epidemiologists and virologists and population health people have been forecasting for quite some time. We were, we've been very fortunate in that we've been able to contain MERS and SARS and Ebola, uh, but what's different about this uh, particular virus is its uh, very uh, high level of uh, contagion uh, and its predominant uh, impact on older populations. And so one of the um, unfortunate consequences is those who have heard that if they're in their teens, 20s, or 30s, uh, don't have to worry as much um, 
as the older populations, particularly if they have other associated uh, diseases. Um, that unfortunately has led uh, many um, in those younger age brackets to disregard this thinking, well, I'm not at risk. I, why should I worry? I'm going to go about doing what I'm going to do. And in fact, that's the worst thing and a big reason that this has spread globally so quickly um, is that while they may not be personally affected, um, they are vectors and they are the best vectors and they are infecting their parents and grandparents and leading to their hospitalization and in many cases death. So we need to re-educate our uh, younger populations that while they are at lower risk, they're not at zero risk, while they're at lower risk of being severely impacted by the disease, they are at high risk of directly leading to the death of those who are vulnerable by disregarding the social distancing and, and social isolation measures. We're in a very... Hey, hey John, thanks. I'm going to pause you right there because we're just getting up to the uh, break. So... I want to come back and just continue on with what you're talking about, why it's so important to get this information out. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest is Dr. John Madison, former Chief Health Information Officer of Kaiser Permanente, and we're talking about COVID-19 and some of the things that are being in the works. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back with more of Dr. Madison. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Insiders, welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, my special guest is Dr. John Madison, former Chief Health Information Officer of Kaiser Permanente. And today we're talking about COVID-19 and his passion to inform the public on what's going on. Thanks again for being here, Dr. Madison. My pleasure. So in the first segment, we were talking a lot about what COVID-19 is, um, some of the originations of how it got, got to the point it is being classified as a pandemic. I wanted to go back just to clarify, how did COVID-19 get its name versus um, a SARS? Yeah, great question, because there is some confusion about that. So the clinical disease and the epidemic have acquired the label of COVID-19. The virus itself uh, that is at the heart of this pandemic is closely related to the SARS vaccine. So in the taxonomy of virologists, it is referred to uh, as a SARS coronavirus. So it's a distinction between the actual virus itself and the disease and the pandemic that it's causing. Got it. Thank you very much. So before the break, you were talking about why it's so important to understand that even though you're asymptomatic, uh, especially in the younger populations, why you could still be a carrier and why that's very risky for at-risk populations. Can we go back to that? Sure. So uh, I, I think that there is a, a serious misunderstanding uh, among some people that because they're at much lower risk of being critically ill from the virus, uh, that they don't have to worry. They can go about their daily routines. Uh, the problem with that response is twofold. One, we're learning increasingly from Italy 
um, that we are seeing people getting extremely ill and dying when they were previously perfectly healthy and young in 20, their 20s and 30s. So while the risk is reduced, it's far from zero. The second um, false conclusion that, uh, that some of the younger uh, population are making is that because they're not personally affected, that they really don't have to worry about altering their lifestyle in the midst of this pandemic. The truth could not be more different than that conclusion. The truth is that one of the reasons this virus has spread globally so quickly is that there are so many younger people who either have a completely asymptomatic infection where they're carrying the virus and spreading the virus without even knowing it, or if they just have minor symptoms of a cold, they may be out coughing in public with nothing other than a mild dry cough and feel like there's no harm in that. In fact, um, there's enormous harm in that behavior because they are spreading the virus to those populations who are very vulnerable to end up in the hospital and in some cases dying from uh, infection with the virus. So we really need to let people know that whether you're a vulnerable population or less vulnerable, you are at high risk of transmitting this disease and leading to the death of your parents, your grandparents, uh, or anyone in a vulnerable population that you come in contact with while you're out pursuing your uh, previous lifestyle and routine. So we need to have a period of significant reduction like San Francisco Bay Area has advocated um, in order to stop the spread of this virus because even if we could stop dead in its tracks today, there are, cons there are legitimate concerns that there are enough people who are just two weeks away from ending up in an ICU with serious disease that we may overwhelm our hospital resources uh, across the country uh, even if we were to arrest the spread today. So it is critical that we stop and control the spread of this virus as quickly as possible. And we can. We can do that but we need to have everybody pull together. And this is one of the things that's really important for us to realize is that no matter what's happened up to this point in time, that is water under the bridge. We need to collectively get together, um, avoid the toxic politics of the past, and really uh, design strategies and approaches and, and responses to this virus that reflect the utmost in collaboration across political parties, across counties in the state, across states, across nations. Um, this, this virus is not a red state virus or a blue state virus. This is a virus that has spread across the entire planet. And furthermore, I think it's important that we not refer to it as a Chinese virus. Uh, this virus could have emerged anywhere, and we need not to unnecessarily incur any conflict um, associated with where this virus came from. That doesn't help anybody. And in fact, it absolutely gets in the way of uh, broad global collaboration and solutions. Yeah, John, I, mean, I love all the points you're making. And I, I love that you're really hitting home that it's not just the Bay Area, it's not just um, certain countries, but it's the entire world needs to be in it together. So I wanted to go back because I love also what you said that you know we all need to kind of stop, drop, and roll and just move forward. What have we learned from 
countries like China and Italy, not in the naming of the, of, of the virus, but in terms of how they've handled it, and how can we arrest the development in the United States? Yeah, I think, I think it's really instructive to look at the course of events in each of the communities and countries that have been affected uh, to see how different strategies and different cultural norms have, have uh, impacted the progression or the control of the, of the disease. I am quite confident that we will get control of this and that we will uh, manage this pandemic down uh, from where it is in Italy right now, where it was in, in the Hubei province, in Wuhan, in China, and in other countries that are being affected. And at this point, almost every country in the world has reported cases. Um, so the, uh, the truth of the matter is that uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Singapore, that already had very mature public health practices in, in place and that had a relationship between the public and the government that was conducive to going fairly quickly into a social isolation strategy, they've been very successful at containing this virus. If you look at what are more traditional Western democracies where uh, the, the virtue of, of freedom of speech and freedom of, of travel um, are, more, are more cherished institutions, uh, we're having more difficulty um, than in some of these other countries. So China, as an example, where it first broke out, was able to really put in a hard lockdown with social isolation and get control of it in remarkably fast time. If you, if you look at the fact that this thing is only three months old, and I'd like to highlight the fact that we are learning significant new information every single day. This is a very, very, from a scientific standpoint, uh, from a healthcare standpoint, from a policy standpoint, uh, this is very new, and we can expect that how we approach it is going to evolve and continue to evolve, but it's very instructive to look at how those countries I mentioned earlier have done uh, a pretty successful job of managing the impact uh, and, and getting control of uh, the pandemic, whereas in Italy, sort of the case study for how quickly it can get out of control um, they have taken some pretty austere measures, but in each step along the way, um, they had opportunities to implement them earlier uh, than they actually did. Uh, and had they followed more of the, the uh, response that uh, was manifest, uh, you know, in the middle of the epidemic of China or in Hong Kong or uh, Taiwan or Singapore, uh, they might well have had a lesser impact. We had the benefit of learning from what worked in those countries and what didn't work in Italy. And we're starting to see an orchestrated collaborative response in Washington, D.C. Um, to catch up um, with the best approaches and implement them. So, Hey, John, I'm going to save that for our next segment. So okay. thank you. Uh, listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, special guest, Dr. John Madison, former Chief Health Information Officer of Kaiser. We're talking about covid and coming up, we're going to talk about the response Washington's doing as well as what is on the horizon for solutions. If you have questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. 
Once again, special guest on today's show is Dr. John Madison, former Chief Health Information Officer of Kaiser Permanente. And we are talking about COVID-19 and the solutions that are coming out in the near future. On this week's Cyber Tip, I'm going to talk about disasters, whether natural disasters like an earthquake, a flood, or COVID-19, it's always an opportunity for cyber criminals to come out of the woodwork, and this COVID-19 is no different. So I wanted you to be aware of a few things that are happening. Because of many workers being forced to work from home or working remote, um, criminals are now sending emails to these workers saying, hey, uh, you should check out this document, you should check out this procedure in order to help you do your job better. A lot of times, email phishing and email spoofing are very prevalent. Uh, I've seen emails where they look like they come from the CDC. I see emails where they're coming from not just your boss, but your vendor or your supplier. There's just a lot of things to keep mindful of because there's a lot of distractions happening. Uh, unfortunately, this is the best time for crooks to come after your hard-earned assets. Other things that have been reported is a Eastern European cyber criminal group is offering a discount on the COVID-19 phishing email kit, and it's basically instead of $700, they're charging $200 on the dark web, and it has um, a screen that looks just like the official COVID-19 tracker out of John Hopkins University. So what I'm going to tell you is always be aware, stay safe, and then my partners at Guardian Insight Group, we're going to create our own website called coronaparanoia.com where we're going to have information on the latest news, we're going to have information on the outbreak itself, and also some tips for people working from home or working remotely. So always be careful, and that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I have a very special guest, Dr. John Madison, former Chief Health Information Officer at Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back, John. Thank you. John, at the end of the last segment, we were just starting to talk about how Washington is addressing this pandemic. Uh, please go on. Well, I, I think the most important thing to recognize is that uh, every country seems to have its own learning curve for how to respond, and we have our own learning curve, and, and thankfully we've reached a point where we're getting much more collaboration across party lines uh, because that's, that's so essential. Um, some of the biggest issues are that since we need to have fairly significant social isolation to really slow this thing down and, as they say, bend the curve, as I like to say, flatten the spike, because we're headed for a real spike in the um, healthcare, uh, the demand on healthcare services that, that can be devastating. Everybody's heard of the shortage of ventilators and the shortage of masks and personal protective equipment and the shortage of, of staff themselves. So we're actually... Uh, going to be seeing, you know, uh, a, a real mismatch between the supply and demand of healthcare resources. So a lot of what we need to do is implement social isolation in order to dampen that spike from occurring. And we don't have a lot of time left, so we need to move very quickly on this. And San Francisco Bay Area has been a real leader uh, in, along with New York in terms of managing uh, that as we've learned from what's going on in Seattle, what's going on in Italy and other countries around the world. So to the extent... Um, that we can 
uh, implement policies that not only lead to social isolation, but allow for those individuals who are more dependent, who live paycheck to paycheck, 70% of the country lives paycheck to paycheck, we need to make sure that they have ample food or they're not going to be able to socially isolate. We need to make sure that basic uh, public services, uh, trash removal um, and uh, uh, law enforcement and fire and so forth, that all of those services, in addition to health care, uh, are maintained at an appropriate level while we go into these social isolation procedures. So some of the policy coming out of Washington right now around uh, mortgage relief, around a paid sick leave, around um, a, uh, a, a certain amount of money going to every single uh, individual in the country to tide them over during a very rough period of social isolation, all of those things are necessary. And what we don't have in, in a well-oiled machine is the entire supply chain for all of those various implications of social isolation, and we don't know how long it's going to last, um, and we don't know how extreme the social isolation is going to be. So we need to have a very coordinated policy between how we implement social isolation and how we protect uh, the vulnerable populations, not just from the perspective of COVID infection, of, of the COVID disease itself, but also from the perspective of making sure that people have basic uh, services so they uh, have shelter and food, um, and and all those other public services. So orchestrating all of that, the logistics, this is a war. This is a war against this virus. The, imp- the logistical implicate, you know, wars are, are won and lost on the basis of logistic supply and supply chains. And so to the extent that we understand how critical those elements are, um, the better off we are in, in getting our arms around this. And I think the announcement yesterday morning by Amazon that they're hiring 100,000 people um, to uh, protect the supply chain for all those deliveries um, is uh, an example of how there's a, a collaboration between uh, public policy and private industry to bring about a concerted effort uh, to manage the social isolation that is necessary to get our arms around this virus. Uh, these are really good points. Um, you were talking earlier about a tabletop exercise done for healthcare uh, back in October. Um, I know one of the startups that I'm very close to on a risk management side, they were working with um, Amazon last fall for not a pandemic, but a natural disaster and what did it mean to the supply chain. And uh, I know that from the time they did that exercise, they were they had miscalculated um, in how much resources would be necessary to to get propped back up. So it's good that people were thinking about something earlier um, than when it actually happened. Uh, you made also another good point, which is the analogy that it's very similar to being in wartime. Uh, how long wars can be very long, John? How long do you think that um, in the U.S. specifically, we're going to be hunkering down for. I've heard anywhere from, I don't think it's going to be a couple of weeks, but from a couple of weeks to six months or longer, what's your just personal estimate of how long this is going to last? That's probably the most important question we're facing globally, not just in the barrier, not just in the U.S., but globally. And one of the concerns is uh, that if we lock down a community uh, and then uh, get through this and then uh, uh, remove 
the, all of the policy around social isolation, but there are communities right next door that just started their social isolation or uh, are not yet in social isolation. We defeat the purpose of social isolation. So when we go into those extreme measures, um, we uh, incur all of the impacts on the economy, but the benefits we get are incredibly dependent upon um, how pervasive that lockdown is. And so what we really need to think about is how do we synchronize the, um, the, the national efforts for social isolation and how we think about the international efforts for social isolation and, and arresting this virus. Because while we've shut down um, a, a lot of, of uh, global uh, transportation uh, and travel, uh, as people come out of their social isolation restrictions, they will start traveling again. And if we don't have control, we'll just see a reverberation of this virus across different states, across different countries, um, and across different continents. So one of the things that hasn't really been fully vetted in the public square is how do we avoid the reverberation effect of this virus continuing to propagate between countries that have already been through a successful social isolation program and gotten control of it and then having it come back again. So within China, uh, because of their culture and their governance structures, um, they have some pretty effective tools to manage that. But between countries, it's a very different issue. And so I, it's my personal belief that um, these kinds of issues around how we lock it down um, in different geographies become critical. So your question was, how long is this going to take? And if we could uh, wave our magic wand and lock down the globe uh, in, in terms of social isolation, it would probably be six to eight weeks to get control of this thing. But because we can't do that, um, it's going to take a lot longer. It could take six months. It could take longer than six months. It really depends upon uh, national and international collaboration and coordination of these kinds of events. So that's one of the things that this virus does. It challenges our character individually. It challenges our character collectively. It challenges our character as a nation, and it challenges our character as citizens of the world. So to the extent that we can um, rise to the occasion and really begin to think, not in political terms, but in the fact that this virus doesn't discriminate what our, our uh, race, ethnicity, uh, or uh, religious or political beliefs are. We need to overcome that. And, you know, the, the, the world is really overdue for a reset. We need to hit the reset button on how we conceive of, the, of community. Are we a member of a, uh, a, a specific, specific geographic community, national community, religious community, um, or political community, or are we citizens of the world? Because this virus doesn't care. This virus really doesn't care. So we need to become much more serious about understanding that we are all one. We are all in this together. And that until we act collectively, recognizing that we are all one, we will take much longer to contain this. There will be more people affected, and there will be more uh, uh, strain on our healthcare resources. So um, my heart goes out to all those who have already lost their lives and, and to their families and to those that lie ahead. Um, and I think that we should be thinking about this in terms of, 
of um, those people in our community who are vulnerable and our role collectively to help manage this um, through this very difficult period. Well, Dr. Madison, I, I thank you for sharing all this very useful information. I, I really am glad to hear directly from you that it's not necessarily uh, a two-month or a six-month thing, that as a world, until we get total control uh, and concerted effort, there really shouldn't be this thought that it's just going to be um, an event, then that it just goes away. Because I'm with you. I think it's also not necessarily just COVID, but it's also preparing our populations, global populations, on what to do because I think there'll be recurring or new infections that come onto the landscape in, in the future. So thanks again for your insight. Um, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, special guest with Dr. John Madison, uh, former Chief Health Information Officer of Kaiser. Any questions or comments, email us at info at When we come back from the break, Dr. Madison is going to talk about hope and how we're finding new ways to solve for these pandemics. So don't go away. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. On today's show, I have a very special guest, Dr. John Madison, who's the former chief health information officer of Kaiser. Earlier, he gave lots of useful information about what COVID-19 is, what we as a population need to do to solve, collectively to solve for it. And one other thing about John is he's an optimist as a futurist. So now we're going to talk about on the pivot, what are some of the solutions coming on the horizon? So John, thanks again for being here. Oh, my pleasure. So we talked a lot about very sobering where we're at currently with COVID-19. How is society going to change? What are some technologies and techniques that are going to emerge to combat something like this? Yeah, that's 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 the question of the day, and and I am uh, really impressed with what's happened already. I mean, if you look at the fact that this virus was first uh, detected causing clinical disease in December, and that within weeks um, uh, researchers in China had isolated the virus, sequenced the virus shared the DNA sequence globally for all the research community. Labs around the entire world began testing uh, therapeutic, uh, no, both novel and, and, and prior on-the-shelf medications to see what had activity against it and what didn't, that there are vaccine programs. I mean, you talk, you talk about a transformational event. Um, uh, we did the first, uh, uh, injected the first patient, uh, the first person, uh, with a vaccine in uh, Kaiser Permanente in Washington uh, just this week, less than three months after this novel virus is detected. That's, that's a profoundly accelerated cycle time uh, compared to any other uh, novel virus that's emerged. So that's, that's a tribute to what we have uh, learned and the technologies that we have created for early detection sequencing, construction of uh, uh, therapeutic responses and non-therapeutic responses and vaccination programs. So we still have this issue of how do we quickly get through clinical trials to make sure that something is both safe and effective against this particular virus. And so we're already seeing that we have far greater capacity to respond to this than we have had in the past. And we should expect that to continue. And we expect to learn a lot of lessons about when the next 
virus, novel virus like coronavirus comes around, how can we even further compress the time between detection and, and an effective response? So we're learning um, something about the new normal, and the new normal is going to be that we will see more viruses like this, and we will have much better responses to them. So some of the things that are necessary. Um, and, and, and one of the other aspects of this virus that is, is not widely appreciated is that it tends to mutate fairly uh, quickly, and the coronavirus family is one where there's a lot of genetic genetic variation between the members of that virus family. And so if you imagine... Um, as we're detecting novel viruses and as novel viruses mutate into different strains, so um, there's a plethora of mutations that have already been detected with this one, how do we adapt our strategy nearly real time to what we're experiencing um, in a epidemic or in a pandemic itself? And so what we really need is we need point-of-care testing that can generate a result very quickly. And that's one of the technologies that I'm assisting with is where we can actually swab someone's nose, stick it in a device, and give them a result in minutes, not days, so that we know exactly how to treat that person, how to isolate that person, um, what uh, potentially which antivirals are better for the strain of the virus that that person has at that moment in the evolution of the pandemic. And so what I see is that we have a virus that uh, is sort of a, a uh, has a, a active passive communication network globally itself in that it's constantly mutating according to the principles um, of evolution and natural selection, um, and yet we have an advantage in this battle as humans. We can look at the data as it emerges um, and with some, some more intentionality and in the parlance of machine learning, some supervised learning to say, okay, so now we see that that we have these shifts in the mutations going on or in novel viruses, um, how do we incorporate that information in, in our therapeutic strategies, both pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic interventions uh, to treat it? So we're really learning a lot, and we need to be able to really scale and, and uh, democratize these point-of-care technologies in ways where we can shorten the cycle time between what we, when we detect what's emerging and how we adapt all of our strategies, uh, policy, pharmacologic, non-pharmacologic, immunization campaigns, and so forth. So um, we are going to learn an immense amount from this terrible pandemic and experience, but it's going to put us in a far better place in the future. As, as one example, we have several companies in the U.S. that are working on home test kits. Um, that's um, a, a very critical element, so people don't have to come in and either sit in an urgent care clinic or an emergency room. Um, they, can, they can get drive-through swabs today in many locations across the country, um, and that's a growing number of places. And there are some pretty serious campaigns to be able to mail tests to people, have them mail it back in and get a result within a 48-hour period. So those kinds of technologies um, that are being applied are going to be much more primed, much more practiced, and much more adaptive, uh, not only to this pandemic, because they'll need to be adapted to this pandemic, uh, but for future uh, virus epidemics and pandemics. Um, and so just as one example, um, we uh, need the test kits desperately now so that we can determine who is uh, infectious and how to best isolate and treat them. 
but we're also going to need them on the tail end of this. So as people who are critical in delivery of health care or public services like, like uh, uh, waste disposal and law enforcement and so forth, as these people become infected, um, how do we ensure that before we put them back to work that they are no longer shedding virus? So we need to have very significant uh, technological uh, uh, and, and policy campaigns for how we certify that someone is safe to go back to work. They've actually recovered from the virus and are not infecting their uh, colleagues at work. Um, so we have, much, we have much more to learn than we already know in this very short-lived uh, pandemic. Um, and I'm really optimistic uh, that uh, we can get better and better at managing this. We will get our arms around this. We will get through this. Uh, collaboration is critical. Um, and the, the collaboration between the public sector and the private sector is critical. The collaboration between countries is, is critical. We heard today that Canada and the U.S. jointly decided, not unilaterally, but they jointly decided, let's shut our border. That's the kind of collaboration that we just haven't seen a lot of in the last decade or so as we've become a more polarized society in a political sense. So despite the fact that we're in an election year and there's a lot, still a lot of polarized politics, we need to recognize that when we talk about how we use new technologies and emerging policies to manage this pandemic, that we need to abandon our polarized political positions to get the job done. There's a different forum and a different time uh, to really manage those conflicts, and it's not now. So um, we're learning uh, things in the, in, in the basic biologic domain. We're learning things in the public health domain. We're learning things in the supply chain domain. We're learning things in the technology domain. We're learning things in the pharmacologic domain. We're learning things in the non-pharmacologic domain. We're learning things about international collaboration. It's my belief that this reset button that we're hitting right now uh, globally is going to highlight the necessity of having international collaboration at a much higher level than we've ever seen in the history of humanity. And I think that's a good thing because there will be benefits that we all derive collectively that um, are going to emerge out of this. And I, I, I do think that we will be much better prepared next time. We will get our arms around this when we get it under control um, and that we will learn a lot about how to shorten the cycle time of discovery uh, from discovery to implementation of our response. And we're gonna get over this and I think people need to understand that this kind of collaboration is really building and it is going to uh, dramatically reduce the consequences otherwise of not having that kind of collaborative effort uh, across all axes of society and the human experience. And the last thing I'd like to say is that we really need to take care of each other. There's a lot of initiatives like on Nextdoor for how people can help those who are more vulnerable and have difficulty uh, you know, get with a supply chain uh, just for basics like food and, and uh, paper products and so forth. We need to be able to come together and, and help those in our communities, both hyper-local as well as globally, in unprecedented ways. And I, there's just so much evidence that it's bringing out the best of our character as individuals, as communities, and as societies. And I think we really need to focus on how collectively that, that level of collaboration is a 
central part of the solution, not just for this pandemic, but for the next one and the next one. And our new normal is going to reflect the threat that we're experiencing, but it's also going to reflect our coming together as one species, as one uh, society that needs to respond much more deliberately uh, than what has happened in the early days of this pandemic. All right. John, thank you so much for being on the show today. I thought the information was invaluable, and you reiterated a lot of what the public should hear. But I really like the ending where you said that people should be coming together. I think if anything out of this pandemic, people coming back to their societies, their communities, and helping each other out, that's an important lesson. So thanks again uh, for being here today. Great. I'm glad. I hope it helps. Listening to Silicon Valley Insider, this is Keith Koo with Dr. John Madison, former Chief Health Information Officer of Kaiser Permanente. If you have any questions or comments about what we talked about today, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN.